1: Welcome to Be Good, Rewatch It. Today, we're rewatching Event Horizon, Paul W.S. Anderson's schlock horror sci-fi masterpiece from 1997. I'm Danielle Riendo, and joining me today is my brother in horror, Patrick Klepek.
0: This is already off to a rough start. It's Be Good and Rewatch It. Please? ha
1: <laughs> ha! I remember that. You're not
0: recording. You're not re-recording it. You have to live with this. This is is just how it goes. You're also not the you're not the only one. Austin has continually fucked this up, but I'm I'm here to, you know?
1: (laughs) I well, it's because I keep I think everybody is doing a different acronym for it. Like BGARW versus B G R W. So it's like it's a whole thing.
0: Well, I think that's because (laughs) technically in acronyms you're not supposed to do. Often you don't do like the AND or like in. Or the the, so then BGRW would be, that's my preferred acronym, but hey, you know, I'm not going to, it's 2019, yeah. uh, do what your acronyms <laughs> how you want. I'm not going to stop you, but that's right. I will correct you if you get the name of the podcast wrong. That's, all the, right, that's well, the one line I'll draw.
1: I put it, it's now in all caps. The and is in caps now, even more so than anything else. And uh, if we're off to a rough start, that's okay, because, uh, <laughs> because Event Horizon also had a rough start. Let's put, it, let's put it that way. Um. So I picked this movie. I'm going to tell you the story of why I picked this movie. Uh, I became aware recently of a podcast that I truly love. And this isn't a waypoint uh, because uh, it just inspired me so much to do this movie and then now go and listen to so much of this podcast. But it's called The Faculty of Horror Podcast. Uh, and it's two academics uh, who – it's not an academic podcast, but it is two sort of like film studies people, like academics – who are watching horror movies and having these incredibly, like, punchy, good, like, amazing criticism, tight, just, oh, my God, everything, everything you want in a fucking podcast. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they did one on Sunshine and Event Horizon. So, of course, naturally, in the last week, I have watched Sunshine and Event Horizon. Event Horizon being a movie, I'm sure, and I definitely want to hear your history with it. Uh, But I have not seen this movie until this week since about 1997. I, I was 13, maybe it was 98, because I do remember seeing it sort of like at home. It was on TV or we rented. I think we rented it. We rented a video cassette from Blockbuster Video. We brought it home and it scared the living shit out of me, this movie, Event Horizon. Uh, and I. it's it's always had like a mythos to me in, in my head ever since this event, you know, like 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, uh, where I was like, man, that is that a good movie? Is it? Because is it? I remember it being really scary when I was a very young teenager, but is, is it actually scary? Is it actually good? Uh, and that's sort of my history with it. But I definitely want to hear your history with it because I know you also have a, a storied history with this movie.
0: I guess so. Uh, it depends what we mean by storied. I <laughs> don't remember when I first saw this film. Uh, I don't have like an origin point. I can think of, I have like several competing theories. Uh, (laughs) One is that um, I was a huge fan of another film directed, the movie that uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, who weirdly, just side tangent, um, you're one, like if you watch Event Horizon, I don't know if they corrected this on the Blu-ray, but uh, he's credited as Paul Anderson, not Paul W.S. Anderson. And so I was reading an interview with him um doing some some reading before we're recording this podcast. And someone asked about like, well, hey, some films you're credited as Paul Anderson, some films as Paul W. S. Anderson. And so that is because of some wrinkle in the uh, I believe the writer's guild or the director's guild, mm. where if you're if you if like you're the writer director, like it has to be Paul W.S. Anderson. Like there, there are like <laughs> There's a specific because there are multiple Paul Anderson's yes. like the W.S. is invoked in like specific scenarios based on some form of crediting. It's just it's not I because at first I was like, did he just got to get pretentious as fuck after what Mortal Kombat and Event Horizon? <laughs> then he went on to make Resident Seven Resident I was like, right. got to put my stamp on this shit. Got to put a W.S. in the middle or else people aren't going to know this is mine. And it's like, no, actually, it turns out um, it's like a director's guild or something like a specific clause based on like Paul Thomas Anderson and uh, there's an, uh, uh, uh Wes Anderson. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just anyway. So that's interesting aside. Cause this I movie, when I was watching yeah. it opens with Paul Anderson, I was like, what are you, everyone thinks him as Paul WS. Cause he, you know, people forget once the resident evil movies took off that like he had done some of this other stuff, like Immortal mortal combat event horizon are, are pretty far back. Um, yeah. in the 95 catalog. 95 and 97.
1: It's like, we're we're you know, talking like people, more than 20 yeah. years ago. At this generational
0: point, yeah. differences, <laughs> generational uh, audiences coming to to meet our boy, Paul Anderson, at different points uh, in, in life. And uh, so it's possible that I was obsessed with Mortal Kombat and then saw this, but it's like unlikely that when I saw Mortal Kombat, I was like, I need to see more from the director of Mortal Kombat. Like that just <laughs> right. seems... And I just, I just don't, I don't want to give myself that much credit because I don't think that's true. I think what's more like, what's more likely, because I definitely have seen it before, um, and I've seen it multiple times since then. But I want, so like, one of, uh, I was attracted to all sorts of different kinds of horror films as a kid, but it was more like accidentally horror. So it's like you know, you would yeah. see Jaws or Aliens, but that just kind of happened. It was just happenstance. Those are just movies I end up seeing because they were on TV. Or, you know, pull it off the shelf of an older brother or sister at someone's house. It was like, "Ha, ah, we're going to watch this R-rated film that we're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And it really wasn't until, uh, I mean, I started building a catalog of those things over time. Like, I was attracted to games like Silent Hill and Resident Evil. Um, I didn't identify as a horror fan, but probably subconsciously. Like, if you would look back at, like, the things I was playing, you'd be like, hey, you seem to have, like, an interest in horror. But it wasn't until college that I started watching a lot of, like, the AMC uh, movie marathons they oh, would do yeah. around Halloween. um, and so uh, AMC, before they became you know known as like for Mad Men and The Walking Dead, they were just the American movie channel, and like you just put on if you like wanted to watch some random film. and in October, they would largely turn into a horror station and they would just be playing like Halloween one through eight, you know over and over, like back to back. And so often I would just sit down. Uh, like before going out or like after coming out from the bars, like I just watched whatever was on AMC and I got really in to Hellraiser. And then around the same time is when I met uh, my now wife and she she had a long history with horror. And so we would spend a lot of time going to the local movie theater or not, not movie theater, uh, uh, local like a uh, uh, movie store and just like yes. go to the horror section and just, it was really well curated. It wasn't just like some some junk, like it was people that like, <laughs> The library was made by people who loved genre films. And so we would just kind of go through the horror section picking stuff based on uh either we'd heard about it or she had seen it or I'd been curious about it, or like old school, uh, the cover is good and yeah. I want to see what this movie's about. So I know that's when I saw it again, and that was tied to me falling in love with Hellraiser. So I think that's what like eventually got me there was uh, my 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 burgeoning obsession with Cenobites and Clive Barker, <laughs> then eventually meeting an accidental rewatching of Event Horizon. So I do think my first time I saw it was on AMC, and then that was around the time that I was also watching a lot of Hellraiser films. And so I, I believe that I believe that's where it like lands for me because yeah. I don't think I was like you and saw it. I was definitely not seeing it in the theater. Like my parents were not taking me <laughs> to horror films in the 90s. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure that's where it lands for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I sort of love that, though, uh, especially because you're invoking the sort of the video store, uh, which, oh, my God, uh, if I miss anything of that era the most, it's probably that. It's probably going to a place that is that curated, especially like a local place. Uh, It it could be a blockbuster if you had like an awesome staff there, uh, that kind of thing. But this is just so... That kind of movie, this is so perfectly that type of movie. And also there's a lot of Hellraiser overlap, which I know we'll kind of get into as we talk about it a little bit. Uh, But sort of just setting up what Event Horizon is, uh, now that we've done our histories with it. Uh, This is uh, very squarely in the sci-fi horror realm. It is definitely a derelict spaceship film, which, my God, uh, do I love a good derelict spaceship film. Yeah, that's
0: a (laughs) subgenre of the the sci-fi yeah. A space film especially especially in horror that it may, yes. not even a subgenre that is like maybe just the genre.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean like so much of a piece of it. Uh, and absolutely well, that's also, like, an entire genre of game, too. The, oh, my God, what happened here? Uh, which which comes out of uh, the, the sort of filmic history, this sort of rich tradition of something went fucking wrong on this spaceship. What went wrong on this spaceship? And it's your job to figure it out. Only, and obviously, with film, it is more about the characters themselves and what happened with them and all the themes that we're going to talk about. So, very briefly, Paul W.S. Anderson, who... Now, I suppose we'll invoke the WS since it is is proper uh, in current times to invoke the WS. So, he was coming off of a massive success in Mortal Kombat. Uh, So, that was the 1995 movie that everybody loves for its soundtrack and its goofiness and its sort of lighthearted take on, uh, well, you know, a a, a gory. Yeah, the super serious
0: Mortal Kombat mythology. Please. I did take it very seriously at the time. So, like, that is tongue in cheek in a way that. you know, uh, the 10 year old Patrick would uh, take some, uh, umbrage with.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. 10 year old Patrick. I, uh, I love it too. Like, let's be, let's be clear. I, I love, I pulled that out of my Panda. ass, but
0: 1995, that's 10 years old. I was 85, 95. So yeah, I was 10. <laughs> I definitely saw that movie in the theater. Um, and like the final bit when Shao Kahn comes out and the music kicks in is one of the greatest cinematic experiences of my life. Yes.
1: I mean, that makes me very happy because it is, it is a true delight. Um, so awesome, yeah. He he kind of went into this. He had a lot of freedom, and the, the the you know conventional wisdom is that he wanted to do something a little darker. Which holy shit, did he ever do something a little darker than Mortal Kombat here with Event Horizon? Uh, they made this movie uh, to keep it super brief. It was a a bit of a strained production. They did not have a ton of time, uh, but apparently the mood on set was actually pretty good. Uh, people were pretty happy. He also
0: rewrote the script. I think he did. Right, so yeah. Like, originally, it was originally, go ahead, go ahead. Some like no-name screenwriter that he he's has done like done like almost nothing since, and it was more of like an, a legit just like r- ripoff of Aliens. Like, yes, they go to a, t- a through a, a rift and then like tentacle things yes. are on the ship.
1: <laughs> it was it was a big tentacle monster, a little bit Eldritch horror, a little bit you know just goofy goofy stuff. They made it so much darker, uh, as I understand it. I was reading the shooting script the other day, and my god, uh, even the shooting script, what they actually shot and what the original cut of this movie, which was uh, 130-something minutes, was much darker uh, than what we actually see in a very, very tight, actually, something like 95 minutes. I forget the uh, exact running time here, but it's a pretty tight movie. We go in, uh, and it is, uh, to to give you something of a plot summary, uh, there's a ship, It was lost seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Uh, And there is a sort of a a rescue ship, a lifeboat ship, uh, where their primary job is to go out and do search and rescue missions. Uh, And they take this scientist, uh, Dr. Weir, played by Sam Neill, uh, who is a gem in this movie, uh, to go find out what happened. And what happened was, uh, spoiler alert, the ship went to hell and came back and is now alive and also sort of a Cenobite and also sort of hell itself. uh, To keep it very, very brief. And now our characters, our heroes have to be very heroic in order to not sort of go uh, to lose their minds to the sort of hell dimension. And some of them do and some of them don't. Uh, And we have a lot of sort of very heavy themes and some very interesting themes going on in terms of hell, in terms of uh, actually there's a lot of Hellraiser in this movie. Uh, I sort of position this movie as aliens times Hellraiser. Not that I like Meets Meets, but this is actually perfectly that. Uh, in terms of setting and in terms of tone and in terms of, like, just how schlocky it is. I've always thought of Hellraiser as being, like, a pretty serious movie that rides the line between schlock and, like, genuine greatness. And I don't think that schlock keeps something from being genuinely great. Uh, This is maybe a little bit further on the side of schlock, but it also takes itself pretty seriously, tonally, and also uh, has a lot of fun. Uh, which I think is very much due to the performances in the movie. So I guess I'm introducing a whole lot of ideas here. Uh, but going in in your most recent rewatch, was there anything that sort of stood out to you in particular about the movie? Well, it's
0: it's a really good B movie. Right. Yes. So uh, on uh Waypoint Radio this week, I uh, unexpectedly gushed about M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. <laughs> a, Perfect. Or the A happening, the sequel to the <laughs> happening. Uh
1: sure.
0: the happening which is a uh, movie that is tonally all over the place. It's for people aren't aware of the happening is a film about uh, 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 the plants uh, 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 in a specific part of the Northeast, um, suddenly releasing a toxin that causes everyone around them to both kill themselves and kill others. It's, you know, sort of a, you know, a climate change metaphor, yada, yada, yada. Um, And there's like these long shots of like billowing trees that are meant to spark menace in your heart like oh no the the trees billowing are coming to get us and it just doesn't really work I think it's an amazing misfire like I think it's it's an incredible film that is worth seeing I bought the blu-ray just showed up today I'm holding it in my hand at my desk (laughs) yes that's how much I enjoy it. how bad um that movie was but um it's and then reading interviews with Shyamalan he said well people didn't really quite grasp that it was like it was I was trying to make like a like a Tetpole B movie. And it's like, mm-hmm. ah, you, like you didn't pull it off. Like it didn't, it didn't work. But I think this movie is like the apex of what you're looking for from a movie. That's like pulling in just enough stuff that you could be like, there are themes here, I <laughs> guess. Um, and it's like playing with stuff, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is, it's, you know, was, you know, the way it was pitched, you know, reading about the production was it being a, a horror, a haunted house, on a spaceship. And as far as that goes, like, I think it is like rem- remarkably effective. Like I-, I, I love thinking about the the themes and picking and pulling a mythology and-, and stuff like that. And because that's, it's, it's fun to just pick at things, even if uh, it's not necessarily uh, worthy uh, of that much. <laughs> but I think in terms of like a movie that, especially a movie that was like starting to dip into like the early CG, you know, like this comes a couple of years after Jurassic Park, sort of like the perfect blending of practical effects and CG. I couldn't help but uh like immediately cringe the moment they get onto the spaceship and you see like uh, uh like like soda cups oh, spinning yeah. at you and yep. you just and like the very the obligatory uh they go into like an engine room where the the hyperdrive the thing that lets the the ship uh uh travel through space and time and like there's like all this CG like oil Goop. like <laughs> gooping around and like constantly the characters have to interact with it and the goop has to, like, fly at the camera and you're like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. But it is a movie that is, like, largely grounded in uh, practical effects. I think, like, I'm surprised how much it remains uh, v- aesthetically evocative because most of the most extreme scenes of, like, of, of violence and gore are flash cuts. Like, yeah. the movie still manages to leave a lot to your imagination or a lot of... um you know, I mean, these days you can like pause and frame through things, but you know, in you know the old days, like if you're watching a VHS, like you're you're gonna have a hard time like parsing through like the the, the compilations of violence that are that are kind of like passed at you at various points in the movie. So I guess the long long version of it or the short version of it is that I I was surprised how well it ha- holds up as like a really fun roller coaster ride. Um, and if anything, that underscores how good because sort of like. How, how good it actually is because yeah. a movie from that era still feeling fun and managed to get me on moments that weren't just jump scares that I'd forgotten. There's a pretty good testament to uh, a, a horror movie from uh, uh, 1997, right? Yeah. Is that what we said?
1: Yeah, 97. Yeah. I, I think that's an incredibly good point. This movie is so tight and so tightly wound and so tightly produced. Uh, you're, you're sort of, thrown right in, uh, sort of along with Dr. Weir, onto this, you know, existing relationships of the Lewis and Clark. That's the name of the ship, uh, where uh, Captain Miller, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, another sort of gem in this movie. Uh, oh, is- he
0: is having a good time just oh, fucking my God. chewing <laughs> scenery. Man, when he says the line, not to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah. fuck this ship. Yeah. Like, you, I mean. I, at the time it probably came across I, mean, I don't I'm like I'm wondering how it was received by audiences like because you look at it now and knowing what the movie is you get a line like that and you're like hell
1: yes <laughs> like
0: I mean this will play into a later point that I know you want to bring up to talk yeah. about like sort of like relatable characters because I think this is a that's like a an instance of uh, part part of the re- part of the reason that this movie works and part of the reason I think it it holds up is is yeah. related to that point
1: Yeah, totally agree. He is he is having the ride of his life. Actually, I sort of in in first watching it, one of the biggest things that came to mind, uh, other than just the believable characters, is like, holy shit, this cast is amazing. It's Lawrence Fishburne, it's Sam Neill, it's uh, Jason Isaacs, is who is like you know famous for. Uh, well, for a variety of things, uh, but also being the the sort of the captain on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Jolie Richardson is Lieutenant Stark. She's she's from Nip Tuck. Like, she's an incredible actress. Kathleen Quinlan, who had just won an Oscar at this point for Apollo 13, uh, for being yeah, Sam Neill two
0: years off of Jurassic Park, so it's like he's yes. also got to be in a position to be like, yo, yeah, we'll be whatever you want to be. And that said, like Sam Neill uh, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne have like a long- I've not read interviews where they've professed to this, but like based on their 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 filmography must have like a deep appreciation or interest or enjoy being in genre films. Yes, because that is, you know, that is absolutely true for Lawrence Fishburne. It's absolutely true for Sam Neill. I mean, Sam Neill's and everything from, you know, I mean, Jurassic Park is in a lot of ways a genre film. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, in the Mouths of Madness and just all sorts of, uh, of other films. He was also in right same year as Event Horizon. Uh, Sam Neill is also I've always meant to watch this movie I don't know how I've seen it It was always on my list of Like walk by it I need to watch it The movie Snow White A Tale of Terror Starring <gasps> Sam Neill And Sigourney Weaver Oh my god um, please, Do you want to get The tagline for Snow White A Tale of Terror The fairy tale <gasps> Is over Oh. which is good. I love that. I love that. I think Event Horizons was uh, Infinite Space, Infinite Terror. Yes. Also very good. They don't put taglines like that on movies anymore because people see through them and think they're goofy. <laughs> I miss that era of of movie marketing dearly. Yes. I, I am now going to have to mark up. I'm going to tell Rob Zachary, hey, Rob, the next Be Good and Rewatch It is Snow White, A Tale of Terror, the 1997 uh, genre classic. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not going to claim without having seen it. Right. Um but yeah, like it's. Uh, I, I I'm curious. I wonder if that holds up with like Kathleen Quinlan. I'm not familiar with the rest of her filmography, but at least yeah, Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Nealer. Um, uh, so she was in the Twilight Zone movie.
1: Yes, she, she was. was in.
0: That's right. She was in Independence Day. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else. Da da da. Event Horizon. The Hills of Eyes. The 2006 remake, which is brutal, but oh effective. yeah, um, shit. I didn't
1: realize that. Yeah, she is in that.
0: She was in the Alexandre Aha 2013 movie *Horns* with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh. Um So, it's, I mean, I guess a lot of it's—it's it's hard to figure out. Like, a lot of actors and actresses end up doing genre work because it's cheap, they shoot fast, <laughs> yeah. and they have a chance to make a lot of money. Yeah. So, like, I probably—it's hard, you know. I, I would just be curious how all these actors break down. Like, how much is it you just end up in this stuff because it's like convenient, right? Um, <laughs> and it's a check. And how much is this like? Hey, well, I'm like, I'm really, I'm. I, I live and breathe this shit. So yeah, anyway.
1: For sure. And uh, depending on the production, of course, and the director, they can also be fun to make, like accepting James Cameron entirely uh, from any of this. Uh, I got the sense sort of uh, reading a little bit about the making of this movie that it was actually, again, a bit of a strained production. They really didn't have much time, but that people kind of had a lot of fun with this, that they kind of knew what they were making. Like, oh, yeah, this is this is a B movie. OK, we c- we can have a little bit of fun with this. We can enjoy ourselves a bit here. Uh, which I think comes through, frankly. Like, there's a tongue-in-cheek quality to this movie that I find so charming and so sort of... It sounds weird to say heartwarming because this is a movie about hell. (laughs) And hell on a spaceship and hell becoming a spaceship. It's it's a little unclear exactly what what hell's relationship to the ship is exactly, but... Go with it, Uh, but I sort of find this comforting and heartwarming in a in a very strange way. And I guess it it does have to do with my sort of nineties nostalgia and the fact that I I live for this stuff. Sci fi and horror are my favorite genres. I go back and forth between. Okay, do I like horror more one day or sci fi more the other day? So when they collide, and when they collide successfully on any level, even if it's not you know a a masterwork of the genre uh, like Alien, why choose? But. Yeah, uh, it's like pizza.
0: Yeah, sci-fi horror is like pizza. It's like I mean, it's not good pizza, but like shit, man. It's pizza. <laughs> yeah, like it's I'll still eat delicious. it.
1: Delicious. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's oh my god. Uh. I had so much fun watching this again, and I guess one thing I do want to uh, talk about a tiny bit, uh, in terms of themes, is that. I do think it's worthwhile talking about themes and pulling things apart, even though it's like a populist piece of schlock, right? Of course it is. And I think it, that's what it wants to be. And, you know, uh, the director himself <laughs> knows that's what he wants to make. Uh, but a lot of times this sort of thing actually conveys cultural messages almost More so than something that we sort of look up upon and and treat as like a masterwork of the genre, Uh, just because maybe the writers weren't necessarily thinking about it. Right. They weren't necessarily like, you know, what would be really great here would be a perfect metaphor for X, Y and Z. And instead, the metaphors get in there because that's just sort of in the cultural you know, the jello that we're all sort of swimming in a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: like reflects the moment in society exactly. that it was made in, less yeah. than uh, uh, a more self serious sci fi yeah. that is like, hmm, like, you know, must live up to the, you know, the, the, uh, to, to Star Trek and like, right. you gotta be very deliberate. And that's, you know, not a knock on Star Trek as right. much as like, there's just different approaches to doing that. And sometimes I think you're absolutely right that you actually sometimes find more revealed by things that unintentionally say or reflect things rather than than uh, uh, media that is, like, very much capital uh, S saying something.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, The prestige kind of thing. Uh, So one thing I wanted to bring up, and then I definitely want to go a little bit more into the characters, but one thing I want to bring up, and this was, I do need to credit again the uh, Faculty of Horror podcast, which talks about this tiny bit, but about guilt and morality and hell a little bit, uh, which is fascinating because... In the sort of uh, general Christian idea of hell, you, you need to be a bad person to go to hell. You need to sin. You need to do wrong uh, to kind of go into hell. And in this movie, y- you don't need to sin. <laughs> you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there, hell... Here, here it goes. Justin Baby Bear, uh, who is in one of the most effective scenes in this entire movie that I never forgot one beat of, even from 20 years ago. When I thought about this movie, I thought about Sam Neill without the eyes and I thought about Baby Bear uh, having, <laughs> having his issue in the airlock. Seeing the dark. Oh my God. Uh, so all he does uh, is just sort of be in the engine room when and, and sort of inadvertently start up the engine that releases the portal. Uh, I and
0: mean, the motherfucker put his hand in the goo.
1: I mean, he, he did, but this is not like he
0: put his hand in like is that a, only sin? a couple of times all... <laughs> like you are on a spaceship that disappeared for seven years that you have now been informed is capable of like interstellar bending time and space to travel. yeah and you see a portal of goo and say, hmm I'm gonna put my hand in it." Uh, there's only two we can talk about this later but there are only two instances where the movie loses me. yeah, and, like that's one of them. And the other, and there's another one later. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fine. These movies, uh, uh, you know, horror is full of contrivances. Sure. But it, it, it's scary enough that, like, whatever. But I was like, I mean, there's probably, like, they could have come up with a better way. To, like, <laughs> yeah. just sh- show some, you know, trans-dimensional voodoo that's, like, you know, puts him in a psychosis. And then he has to... Put his hand in there, because certainly happening a lot in this film. Yes. Um. Anyway, I don't mean I don't mean to dunk on your boy. You're clearly. You, I feel you bad a big for Baby Bear as a character. <laughs> I feel bad for him too. That <laughs> Woody gets shoved out of the airlock and blood is like coming out of his eyes. Like, yes. yeah, I don't worry. Yeah, I feel bad for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is not about the plot itself of the movie, but more like this and Hellraiser have a sort of uh, a an idea about Hell that is very different from the sort of general Christian morality about Hell uh, in terms of, like, okay, in Hellraiser, which, again, there's there's connective tissue here, and I believe there is some sort of connection with Clive Barker, which I know you uh, are the Clive Barker expert here. Uh, he did something he was, some pre-production or... He
0: was a consultant. Okay, um, okay, cool. Um, I couldn't find, like, really... Uh, everything I found would, like, mention vaguely that he was in... Involved sure. in like early versions of the script Because it had been shopped around a bunch yeah. um,
1: And okay.
0: yeah. uh, You know so Unclear I wasn't able to find anything from like Paul Anderson Where like he never referenced I couldn't find him referencing Hellraiser um, But it see Whether it was on purpose or accident Or was in <laughs> Clyde Barker's pre-production I mean yeah. like uh, there's It's impossible to not look at the gravity drive As just like a sci-fi lament Configuration yes. um, The box from Hellraiser um, and the well the you know the the machinations of like the invoking uh, are different, yeah. like sort of the base level idea between Tellraiser and Event Horizon is being hell uh, as a as a real place, yeah, um, or at least the like a con like a what we would call hell, but you know may just be some other like trans dimension, um, yeah, but the, but basically a place where there is sort of like sort of Elon incarnate that. Uh, is indiscriminate and will torture whatever comes across. I guess the one difference, that sort of the, the, the or I guess a big difference, is that in Hellraiser you seek it out. Yes. But you, some people can't. You can solve the box by accident, but like largely Hellraiser is around people who are seeking like the line between pleasure and pain. Yeah. And the Cenobites exist um, to serve that. And then an event horizon is just another dement But like Hellraiser, you can solve the box by accident. That's like a thing. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. they're maybe they're closer than I'm giving it credit for.
1: Yeah. No. 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 I think there is a lot of sort of shared uh, ideology there and sort of shared DNA there, and uh, just yeah, in terms of how it works, right? In terms of those machinations and and like you've invoked this this hell being or or this uh, dimension of evil, or this dimension of the extremes. But in one movie, it is like. I I, I mean, Hellraiser is kink. It is kink as horror, and and that's brilliant, and it's fascinating, and, you know, the whole 80s politics of it are also fascinating. Although in in Event Horizon, it is a little bit more, there's some some kink stuff in here that you don't see much of but we'll
0: we'll talk this is just about we'll talk about uh, the shooting (laughs)
1: script later Uh, uh,
0: sex stuff is a little uh, (laughs) different in this one
1: it's a little different it is a little bit more window dressing than you know very intentionally evoked Uh, but we do need to take a very quick break Kato let me know that a while ago and then I got really excited uh, to, (laughs) to talk more about this but we'll take a really quick break and then we will talk a little bit more about the characters that make this movie work
0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Okay, so on the nuts and bolts side, I guess we're getting out of out of hell itself here uh, for a second, if we can get out of hell here for a second. I do want to talk about why this movie works so well because i I think it sounds like you feel like it works really well and i had a blast watching it and and also sort of felt like oh my god this is really like tightly produced and, and tightly made even though it's very clear in some ways that that maybe certain things are rushed maybe there wasn't you know certain coverage on certain things it it does feel very very tightly produced and it does work on an emotional level And that's due to, you know, both the performances, which, again, this cast is amazing. A lot of really, really stellar character actors. Uh, And also just these characters are awesome and great. Unlike the sort of latter day alien movies, which uh, I, I am a Prometheus apologist. I think there is. okay. let's let's put this the way I should put this. I think there are great things in Prometheus. Uh, so I, I accept that one a little bit from some of the other sort of uh, latter-day alien movies, uh, but there's a lot of just really willfully ignorant people in a lot of uh, this type of movie, right? Like, and some of the pleasure of watching a horror movie about you know uh, really <laughs> ignorant or stupid people doing really stupid things is almost getting a sense of catharsis from watching them be punished, that kind of thing. In this movie, everybody's actually, like, a professional. They actually care about their jobs. They're actually good at their jobs. And they actually care about each other. They have an interesting dynamic, certainly. But Miller is a really good captain. He, you know, he keeps a, a fairly tight ship, even though it is clearly a bunch of, you know, space roughnecks in the sort of alien model. He wants to keep a tight ship. He cares about his people. He, his greatest shame in his life, which comes out throughout the movie, is that uh, he let a crew member die. Uh, once he had to to save the other crew members so this wasn't like oh he killed somebody in cold blood or did something horrible uh, but he really really cares about the people under his watch and that's part of what that gravity to that performance and that gravity to that character is part of what makes this work for me i think
0: yeah i uh you know when i think about horror films especially ones in which you the, the setup is largely it's not about solving it's more Who's the one that gets to escape, and how are the others killed in the process? And you know this fuels uh, interest in you know the the sort of like lurid interest that myself and lots of people have in like slasher movies like Friday the Thirteenth. Is like just the creativity of like the creativity of the killing and the gore and the way (laughs) of having fun with the concept of death. Like is a huge part of the attraction of those movies as opposed to um you know compelling characters but often that's because you've just come to accept the the, the genre has come has lowered the bar <laughs> to such a degree yeah. that you rationalize i rationalize like well that's just what it is And it's like well it doesn't <laughs> have to be that way and that's often why you find yourself you know impressed by movies that put in even just a modicum of effort to <laughs> give characters decent motivations for the actions that they take and so uh it's like it's a difference between, like, relatable and believable. Like, I don't know how relatable the characters are in Event Horizon, but they're certainly, like, believable characters. Like, they make largely credible actions to the point where, like, the only times I got frustrated with the film were, like, when they make so obviously, like, incredible decisions, right? Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's him putting his hand into the, the goo because don't put your hand in space goo like that's just you know this is like that's like prometheus and microcosm yeah for sure it's like yeah you know i'm with you i love prometheus i i think it's a a movie that uh uh has a lot of really cool ideas that are undone um it's by just really poor character decisions um that undermine a lot of the, the the cool stuff that it's playing with um and uh yeah just like you know run to the run the other way from the ship. I know, I know, I know. I get it. But <laughs> if you just forget those things. Um uh but yeah. um and the other the other moment in Event Horizon is when uh sh- uh, uh what's uh brrr, Catherine Quinlan's character. Um
1: Oh, uh not Stark. She's Peters, I think is her name. Peters. Yes,
0: yes. Peters. Um you know, her character, you know, part of the Event Horizon is that whatever uh, it, you know, basically, a life force has infested the the ship and has sort of like the ship is now sort of alive. Like it is, it is kind of like you know, it's not quite quite explained, which is a good thing. Like I, yeah. the mystery of how this actually works is it a demon? Is it just like a Lovecraftian eldritch horror that we don't understand? Like yeah. I love the fact that it doesn't really get into that. It's more just left to your imagination on how the the thing actually works. But it can create, uh, it can sort of tap into your mind, pull out your greatest fears and memories, probably the things that mean the most to you. And for, uh, for Peters, that's, uh, she, like, there's a lot of trauma associated with her son who was back on earth. It sounds like the jobs that all of these people do are often keep them uh, away from home. Yeah. Um, And her son was in, if I remember, it's not explained what accident, but some kind of accident in which he, her son lost the use of uh, his legs. And, you know, clearly, you know, uh, whatever happened there caused a lot of trauma. And there's one point where towards the end, when she should be getting on the ship yeah. with the canisters, <laughs> the CO2 canisters, so that they can go to sleep <laughs> and make it back to Earth. Uh, she sees like what kind of looks like her son running around and
1: she chases after him. Yeah. Like, ah, I know oh, it's just
0: like a really... For for uh, a character who for characters um, who are the deaths of other characters end up being way more justified than hers. Like it's a really unsatisfying that like the one the one woman right like the only woman in the film. Well, no, I, there's Stark
1: right. too, but she she doesn't. It's interesting. We could we could definitely talk about Stark later. She doesn't have much to do in this movie, which is a much little weird because she I mean, survives. Like, like, she is a survivor. Right. Um, She's yeah, a final girl, basically. Given, uh, yeah. And, but yeah, go And ahead.
0: Peters has given a, a lot of the, uh, you know, she, she's getting a lot of time in yes. the film yeah. to um, sort of explore her character. So she's given, like, a really, like, that, it bummed me out because, like, there are other ways to, like, kill her, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you, there were ways yeah. to accomplish what the movie wanted to do. Yeah. But I thought it, like, really undermined, like, the character's credibility, even the logic of the film where it's, like she trips into a hole and then like (laughs) hits her head. Like, come on. It's not the best.
1: Yeah. That's not the best. But like
0: the, the, like the fact that a movie that is predicated on that in a genre that often takes at face value, the characters are just going to act irrationally. And part of the genre is that you're supposed to throw popcorn at the screen and be irritated with them. (laughs) Part of the reason Event Horizon I think holds up is because largely the characters don't act that way.
1: Yeah. Agreed, and and when they kind of do the a very similar thing with the character arc with where uh, Sam Neill's character, it makes a lot more sense for him to kind of go completely banana pants here. Um, like it it is so established, uh, that his wife. Uh, content warning right here. Just I should just say that straight up. Uh, content warning for suicide. Uh, there is actually a really rough scene, uh, where he basically relives his wife's suicide uh which is extremely traumatic it is really rough i was sort of watching this uh with a with a close friend and uh, this scene was playing and i was like "Whoa, oh, fuck oh my god uh this this you know schlocky movie where there's all this blood and gore and all this wild stuff happening uh is is not gonna bother me on any level but then i i watch something that looks like a much more realistic suicide and it's like oh fuck that's a lot um
0: yeah, that's played straight. Yeah. That's
1: played very, very, very straight. Uh, and so that really, whew, that was a little rough, uh, a little tough. Uh, but also, it feels out of place. It also yes. feels
0: kind of out of place. Yeah. The whole scene feels like, like, why is there suddenly just a naked woman? Why does Sam Neill have to like put it like? Yeah, it, that whole that's also a scene that uh, there's a way to accomplish and communicate what what the the, the movie wants to say about this character's own past and and trauma yeah uh which is that they're you know they're a workaholic that uh put their work above their uh their personal relationships that seem to contribute in some way to uh what happened to his wife or at least he believes that um but it's it's a weirdly shot scene that's like i think trying to be erotic but is not what is what is not there's a nude hot woman
1: yeah uh Who's who's uh, in a bath? Like it's a very like okay, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little ninety schlock played straight and played serious, and and that does feel a little a little weird. Uh, there's actually a deleted scene at the top of the movie. Uh, the movie was going to start or not not the first shots or anything, but one of the first scenes, one of the first scenes with lions was actually we're talking with an admiral. Uh, and the admiral being like, "Oh God, I don't know if you're ready for this. You know, you've you've gone through so much, that kind of thing. With whether or not he should even go on the mission. That was kind of, I think, doing a lot of heavy lifting and establishing that, uh, you know, this this poor dude has has really been through a lot, and he he blames himself and he feels guilty, and this is." Uh, that does go a long way into that sort of the, the hell and guilt sort of uh, weight of the movie, if if you will. Uh, but it is a little weird um, <laughs> in the way that that was sort of uh, put together. It is, I do think, uh, partially, not to give anybody a pass, because, again, it's it's it, that's certainly not what I'm going to try to do here. But it does feel very much like that may have been part of the rushed production or uh, you know, uh, some things there were left on the cutting room floor that maybe could have actually been put back in, even though this is such a tight movie. It's so tight that another five minutes uh, of development may not have you know, really <laughs> had any negative impact and actually may have helped to make the character a little bit more believable. But uh, I do generally think that the characters in this movie are pretty great and uh, uh, just go a long way in making it good. I do also, I need to shout out, Cooper the character of Cooper played by Richard T Jones is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know how you felt about him, but every time he was on <laughs> screen I was like, "Oh my god, we can take a breath right now cuz Cooper is doing his his Cooper thing. He's he's like <laughs> he's trying to get Ma'am. laid at the very beginning when they're coming out of the the hyperspace whatever it's called the crash couches or whatever they call them uh in this in this world he's already trying to get laid he's having a great time and like he's he's like the rescue technician. So he's like mr cool he's like ricky rescue mr mr awesome uh so he gets to kind of have a lot of fun and has pretty much all the funny lines in this movie with maybe one or yeah, two he's, exceptions. he's given
0: the one-liner role yeah. like there's always usually some sort of character in these films that is the sort of like comedic relief or, you know, like sort of like the prototypical, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like you're going to get like some set of cheesy lines and, (laughs) uh, yeah, he, he gets all of them in this film rather than spreading them out. It's just one, one, one character. We don't get a lot of time with him. That's essentially like his function for the plot. And it would be, uh, not great if like, It was like the only black character in the film was just this guy who was going to like make the lurid sex joke to one of the few women on the ship. And then he's also just there to be uh, the comedic relief. But, you know, the film, I think, is able to walk that line a little more successfully because, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is, you know, a different black character who is a very... I mean he gets his own lines the fuck this ship but that works because he (laughs) that works even better because he's not a comedic character right Right. he's a dead serious like no nonsense person who understands the only way to get things done is to make everyone fall in line and like that that is his character so like when he does like say stuff like fuck this ship it's so funny because one he brings so much gravitas to it like he is just such an incredible actor and even though he's not He's not quite chewing he's not chewing scenery in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like he's not necessarily acting like he's in a B movie. Sometimes you get uh you know, like Nicolas Cage is very famous for this. Like, you know, an actor who is capable of being a good actor, yeah. um, but when they're in, you know, schlocky or B movie films or, or just kind of lesser films in general, they end up kind of leaning into that <laughs> either by accident or on purpose. Um Eddie Redmaid and Jupiter and-
1: Ascending is maybe my favorite. Of this? Yeah, like,
0: he knows, (laughs) right, in that case, like, he knows what movie he's in, right? He's playing to type, he's playing to the the movie that uh, he understands, like, what's going on. And Lawrence Fishburne, like, you know, plays it straight enough that uh, it helps elevate the film because he's just good. So, like, even though we're given, like, precious few moments with any of the characters, like, when he has that moment where he reveals like, what happened to him and how he, you know, lost one person on a previous mission. Uh, Like, it, you know, I'm not tearing up, but, like, (laughs) it's credible. Like, it it lands for, like, for these movies like this that are juggling tons of characters where you only have, like, the briefest moments for, like, background exposition. Like, it helps when you have actors that can take five or six lines and make them feel like they're several paragraphs. And that's, like, what someone like Lawrence Fishburne Does but yes, I did. I loved uh, the other characters well. Like, goddamn, like the moment he gets fucking spun into space, he's like, Why does this always (laughs) happen to me? And then what he he uh, fucking uh, oh, does his oxygen thing and shoots from like what is clearly what like miles into space and just like, Motherfuckers, I'm coming back. Uh, I mean, yeah, if a lesser, a lesser uh, actor could not make it ends up working cuz it's it's so goofy yeah. um and the fact that the movie pulls off that tone it, like is sort of seems like an accident but like it works like i yeah. i totally bought it and it's fun it's fun especially cuz that happens in the last third of the movie where you know i'd argue the first half of the movie is its most effective and then the second half is mostly about sam Neill looking fucked up <laughs>
1: yeah that's a big part <laughs> of it for sure uh, he tears out his eyes at one point, which is, whew, again, one of the two things I remembered crystal clear from that first time I watched the movie 20, 21 years ago with Sam Neil in the eyes. And again, uh, one of those really effective moments. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit. I know, sorry, I'm so excited to talk about this movie, but I do want to talk a little bit about sort of most effective moments because I know we probably share at least one of them, uh, which which happens to be Justin in the airlock. Uh, so I'm gonna set this up a tiny bit. This is uh, a character Justin who, who he touched a space goo because he's he's the young guy who's curious. He's a young engineer. They call him Baby Bear, which is you know a little bit of foreshadowing. This, this <laughs> Baby Bear got his hand and stuck in the honey jar a little bit here. Uh, only instead of honey, he he went to hell and he saw hell and now he's really messed up and he's catatonic for a while. Uh, and he kind of wakes from his his uh, catatonic state and he's almost possessed. Uh, by the ship or whatever entity uh, is sort of uh, at, at play at play here. And he goes out into the airlock. Uh, and he he's about to eject himself out, of, out into space, uh, which, of course, uh, if you've watched any sci-fi movie or this is a real-life thing, you can die really quickly uh, in the vacuum of space. You need both pressure and oxygen uh, and uh, enough heat to live as a human being. We're pretty well suited to our uh, atmosphere on Earth, but space is pretty fucking deadly. Uh, and he sort of wakes from his stupor at one point while he's still in the airlock, and he starts panicking. And, oh, my God, the way it's shot, the way it's edited— this like harrowing, intense moment of panic and moment of rescue between him and Miller and everybody else on this ship who is just freaking out. And they're all really, really good about it, right? This is wild. So basically one thing I love about this scene, other than the fact that it is so intense and it is so scary, is that it's actually really showing great teamwork among these people who are, again, like we don't get a ton of character work in this movie, but this is one of those subtle things where- uh, Peters is a little bit of a den mother, you know, so she's the one talking to Justin, trying to talk him down. And she's doing her best and she is flipping out. She's having the worst day of her life, but she's trying really, really hard to talk him down. And Stark and another character are trying to fix the door. They're trying to, you know, get through the door. They're trying to get him one way. And then Miller is in a spacesuit and he is going to, you know, basically catch him and put him back in and, and kind of save his life and and do the best thing he can do. And he's talking to him calmly. It is so harrowing and so intense. I, I feel like I I remembered it like beat for beat almost uh, from the last time I watched it. it It again across like two decades of time and space in my life. And I remembered this scene and it is, oh my God, this it's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm really in love with this scene. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a scene of less is more, which is yeah. not, you know, for the moments in the rest of the film when it gets uh, sort of excessive uh, for effectiveness sake, like this is a movie that's like pretty understated. Like the tension comes from, I think some really tight editing. Um, the fact that these space shots with Lawrence Fishburne still look pretty good. Like that's the kind of thing that could easily for a nineties film have been like just atrocious CG that completely takes you out of the moment. And I I just don't think that's the case. I think, I think you're right that I, it, it works because the characters are, playing off one another in some, some really effective ways. And uh, yeah, I found it like, you know, I was watching it in the daytime with my like drapes drawn, but like, I can't, they're not blackout drapes. So I see yeah. get plenty of light in uh, my room and uh, yeah, I I'm with you. I think that's, I, you know, I probably the most effective scene in like the movie. Like if you're talking yeah. about like a lot of what the movie ends up um, being remembered for are like really shocking scenes of, you know gore and violence um and and torture um and not you know the the actual scenes of just like sort of like built tension that don't rely on sort of like shock and awe are are kind of few and far between but that's one of them and 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 is a really really good one
1: yeah it's And and there's a way in which it sort of shows how, you know, this crew was better put together or maybe they were just less affected by, you know, whatever the the sort of being or the dimension is, uh, that they are still sort of capable of working together. They didn't devolve into what is going to be part of what I think is is one of my other most effective moments. And it's actually a little bit funny uh, or or I think it's a little bit funny, uh, which is when they finally are sort of able to clean up the tape and see what happened to the previous crew. And you only see it in tiny flashes. This is cut up to hell. Uh, sorry, no pun intended. And there I went. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, it's cut up. It's chopped up very, 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 uh, very sparingly, uh, to which I think is actually effective uh, in this case. Although I am a little sad that some of the prosthetic work and some of the like really incredible practical effects work didn't get a ton of due. In this movie, because of of how uh, choppy these scenes are, uh, but there is a, a a scene where the you know the existing crew, the crew of the Lewis and Clark, actually finds the tape, and it's like this blood orgy. Uh, and there's a, you can see in the shooting script what's actually happening, which is wild, uh, really really <laughs> interesting stuff going on there. A lot of sex, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, somebody pulls. Uh, sorry content warning for gore but a, a guy like pulls his arm into his stomach or just wild stuff is happening with bodies and this is all very much uh, lent to the sort of hellraiser aesthetic and as soon as the the tape stops miller just has this moment where he looks around and he's like we're leaving it's just this like really great like oh my god we just watched the most fucked up thing and he just looks up we're leaving. It's the most like dad moment of this whole movie. And they're going to blow
0: it up. He's like, "Oh, well, what's the plan?" Like, "I'm going to blow this <laughs> yep. fucking thing to smithereens." Like, <laughs> "We're going to blow this shit up." Like, "What nope. else? Like, did you what? Did you see that tape?" <laughs> um, yeah.
1: it's great. And, I you know,
0: and you know, the uh sort of like a lot of the the myth around this film is like uh it was a complete bomb when it came out. It yeah. cost a lot of money because Mortal Kombat made a lot of money, so he was given uh, uh given in like some a ways. pretty, yeah. yeah, I think it cost like sixty million dollars, which is like Woo. a lot for an R-rated horror film in yeah. uh, nineteen ninety-seven, and um, and so when the movie came out, bombed, and then sort of became like a cult classic on yeah. on tape, um, as the years went on, has now been sort of like revived as like a pretty deeply underrated, uh, at least for the time, yeah, uh, sort of like space horror film, uh there was like interest in going back and like doing like a director's cut and behind the scenes things. Cause Anderson says like, this came right before people started doing this on every set. He's like the next movie I made, uh, there were just people on set who were assigned to do this stuff. They were assigned to archive the production. Like everything else would just sort of happenstance and accident. Yeah. Cause there was just no reason to, to do things like that. The HS tapes didn't come with, with stuff like that. This only thing that you would see that was in like magazine spreads. And so, yeah. um, When they went back, uh, you know, years late, like 10 years later to try and figure out a director's cut, whereas there were uh, a number of cut scenes and then a lot of the gore, which was done like by a second unit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So Anderson didn't actually end up shooting a lot of that. He uh, that was largely um, outsourced to a second unit director. Uh, They they couldn't find it like or what they did find was so damaged. uh, It was beyond repair. They found some scenes in VHS and then like a tape that was discovered in Spain that they thought might have it was then found to be uh, unusable. And so I think like the latest is that Anderson has said, like it might be out there, but it's going to be an accident if we find it, which is uh, there's a longer way to say, I actually think it's for the best that everything is, is just rapid fire cuts. I think it's, it's just indulgent enough. I think the imagination does more like, like Hellraiser is really effective because the effects are really effective and also the effects yes. have like a purpose like the yes. like hellraiser you know based on a hellbound heart by uh by clive barker like is playing with gore and body and body horror and sexuality with like very with with intentionality and, yes. and event horizon is just doing it for shock and so you know whatever like i've watched plenty of movies in which it's just indulgent shock and that's part of the roller coaster Uh, can I, I've seen a billion of these, can I be shocked again, nature of horror (laughs) films, especially for, for hardcore fans like you and I, but, um, I think event horizon would, wouldn't be nearly as effective if it was actually given a chance to do more of that. I think the, the brief snippets we get, like, I like the fact that in the, uh, when they get into the main sort of like a deck of the event horizon, like there are those spots in the back where there's just like blood and gore up against the wall that looks kind of like spider webby in a a way never explained why is that there (laughs) no idea and you know what I don't want to know like the fact that it's kept um, mysterious like when I've seen screen captures of the individual like torture scenes and like you can see more of it like I mean it's interesting but in my head is a lot scarier than actually seeing like the individual scenes of what was happening so it's like you just described. Yes, a man putting his hand through his stomach is is gross. Um right. But when you're watching that, you're way more, uh, at least I found, way more unnerved by like trying to keep up and like what ta- turning the next person, the person next to me, like what the fuck was that? <laughs> um, yeah. As opposed to one that was like three times as long, that like really luxuriated in it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that the movie is better for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. I do think keeping it real tight like this and evoking that sort of thing as opposed to really just swimming in it, uh, without an actual point, uh, to swimming in it. Like if, if this actually really were Hellraiser, if this actually was, you know, you evoke this demon and you evoke this dimension because you are, you are done with vanilla sex. Kink ain't doing it for you anymore. And your name is Frank and and it's just not enough baby. You know, like if there was like a real point to it, then yeah, I, I would be interested in, in seeing some of that, uh, uh, but certainly not just for the schlock, uh, or schlock or shock, I suppose, uh, sort of value to it. I, I did go and watch the schlock
0: sort of- or shock, the name of our the horror waypoints uh, spinoff horror podcast. Actually,
1: <laughs> I think I, to be honest, <laughs> we may have done it. Uh, we may Look, have done you know, it, I'm ladies and gentlemen,
0: between, and, and folks. So between <laughs> Lori's and shock or schlock, I just have a knack for identifying podcast names. I'm apparently. in
1: it. Yeah, I am so happy. That makes me, I'm actually like really beaming right now here in our our little VO booth. Uh, One last point uh, that you have in your notes, Patrick, that I really do want to address uh, before uh, wrapping up here uh, is the idea of movies that traumatize us in our youth and that Event Horizon is that for a lot of people. That is sort of something uh, people like our age, you know, like earlier or mid thirties who may have saw it. Uh, at a very young age, you know, young teen, you know, maybe you were just getting into horror, or you know, your parents. Did you were watch like, the
0: trailer for this movie, Danielle? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs>
1: it doesn't it quite does not sell
0: convey it. anything about. <laughs> like it says, like ah, they're gonna go find a creepy ship. Yep, but like. Fucking nothing about the (laughs) Hellraiser set up by torture scenes. It's not even hinted at. Not a a clue what kind of movie you're in for. (laughs)
1: Yep. (laughs) So I could conceivably see, like, you know, a parent in the 90s. I mean, my parent in the 90s thought, like, oh, this will be fun. It'll be a dumb, you know, goofy, (laughs) like, schlocky horror movie. I I saw Aliens probably a little too young. Uh, And I definitely, you know, did the the MGM ride at Disney World uh, very young. So that alien was my nightmare forever. Uh, And so I think my parents had so much more leniency with horror uh, than they did with a lot of other R-rated things. Like, oh, yeah, you can see lots of monsters, Danielle. That's fine. but, But adult themes... Nah. and then of course we, we had a lot of adult themes here on this ship um, but yeah it's uh it's a really interesting thing uh and a really cool thing and I suppose part of why I have so much nostalgia for this movie and why I was so pleasantly surprised to come back to it and find like again a really tightly produced movie like a really um again like whatever 95 minutes uh that it is pretty quick you're in and out and you have a Friggin' roller coaster ride and there's not a lot of fat to trim uh sort of from the experience uh that's I think that's part of it I think that really is part of uh sort of the nostalgia that like uh, it was a while ago but I was in it to win it then and and then watching it the other night I was absolutely wrapped I was very very excited and of course had that sort of nostalgia factor of like oh my god the airlock You know, or, oh, my God, the eyes. You know, I kind of was saying that to my friend as we were watching it and, and, you know, cowering under a blanket uh, (laughs) during the movie. I actually did find it pretty scary, uh, at least in a couple of places, uh, which I always appreciate, especially in an older movie and in a movie that is very, you know, CG gore uh, and also something I've already seen. Um, So I don't know if you found it scary at all. I guess I should probably ask that as well and maybe closer to the top next time. But uh, whether or not you found it scary at all. Well,
0: you know, like any horror film, it's, uh, you know, hard to be nearly as scared the second time around because you sure. sort of know a lot of what's coming. Um, I think it's still effective. I think, you know, it still um, it manages to build tension and, and shock in uh, a number of places where if you saw this movie, you know, 15 years ago, like, it's worth revisiting because enough of it will still land. Um, I think you end up finding parts of it that you still manage to appreciate. Um, but I'm wondering, like, so do, was this the movie for... So, like, for me, when I think about, like, the movie from your youth that haunted you like it's mm. the mo- like was this a, was this a movie like like so for okay let me set up so like yeah, this is yeah. the reason i put this in my notes was like reading through um like different articles about this and forum posts of people talking about event horizon like this was a kind of movie that like ruined people for like a summer or like <laughs> yeah like gave them nightmares like they saw it at too young of an age and it just like got in them in a way that they were not uh ready for like for me like there's a there's a couple instances of that like um uh i was obsessed with aliens as a, yeah. as a kid I've, I've talked about these moments before but like just to recap them like i was obsessed with aliens so i watched a lot of like uh alien movies and yeah. one that i had watched was fire in the sky which is about this uh dude that uh gets abducted in uh the mountains and the movie has this really traumatic and still supremely fucked up abduction scene um yeah. that still uh, go look it up. Just go look up Ooh. the abduction scene from Fire in the Sky on YouTube. It it is it's bad. It's it's bad. Um <laughs> and that stuck like images of that stuck with me for years. Uh the one that really got me though was uh the Blair Witch Project, which mm. uh that came out at a time, um uh, it's early internet, um, things like viral marketing, like that that wasn't a a thing, but the Blair Witch Project was essentially sort of like uh the ground floor for the notion of of doing that so like the website for the, the marketing of the Blair Witch for people who don't remember it was pitched as like oh this happened yeah and whereas like these days like it's all kind of a wink and a nod like they d- built out an elaborate mythology and history and I- I'm sure to older people it was absolutely clear what was <laughs> going on here but like for me like I mean may like I, I, I guess maybe I knew, but enough of it stuck that like it all just landed for me. It like made it that much scarier that what I. This is again the beginning of found footage, so yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you have moments of found footagey sort of filmmaking, like Sam Raimi's, you know, like uh, shots in the woods that, that, that are sort of like shaky cam sort of stuff. But like, there, which establishes the uh, the notion of, of found footage, or at least popularizes it, and uh, the. I never went camping as a kid. This movie, I this movie like really deeply fucked me up and definitely put me off ever camping for, <laughs> for years. Yeah. And then this um the stuff the stuff that is linger with me, I mean, other than like the uh the guy staring at the wall at the very end of the film, like that shot will never leave my, my head. But yep. beyond that, um, it's uh the crunching of like leaves and twigs outside of a tent. Yeah. You can't see it. It's dark and just crunch, crunch, crunch. And uh my parents hated paying for uh AC in the summer. Oh, and no. my mom would leave, she just makes us open the windows. And there were nights it was so hot. And I get it. Money money was really, really tight. Yeah. Like they barely afforded the house when they bought it. So like I understand I'm much more sympathetic in, <laughs> in retrospect than right. I was at the right. time. Yeah. But Um, it meant I spent like the whole summer after seeing The Blair Witch where like the window was open next to my bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) And I would often stay up late at night playing video games, Final Fantasy VII and shit like that. And as soon as I tried to go to bed, I would hear like a raccoon just crunch, crunch. (laughs) And so for the vast majority, like I'm talking like most nights after the, 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 the summer after seeing The Blair Witch Project and into the fall, I don't know when it ended. I don't know, like when the fever broke. I would just stay up all night till the sun started peeking oh up, god. and then I would just go to sleep.
1: <laughs> oh my god!
0: Because summer vacation, I could get away with that. Yeah. Um, and like my parents didn't care if I was sleeping in till you know whatever. Um, but I so for almost an entire summer, I was wake. I was staying up till I could saw, see the sun, and I was like, cool. The Blair Witch doesn't come out once the once the sun is out. Yeah, you she know, the, goes to the bed common that. phrase. Yeah. The Blair Witch don't come out when the sun is out. Is how they promoted the movie. <laughs> there it um,
1: is. Oh my god. Yeah, I had. So uh,
0: that's me. That's mine. Cool. That's, like, the Blair Witch is is mine for that.
1: I love that. That's so good. That's so evocative. Yeah, I I had that with Aliens, uh, and I actually had it from and I and I think yeah I, I've. Uh, to recap because i think I've, I've said this before as well but uh i went on the great movie ride in uh walt disney world mgm studios at the time now hollywood studios and there's an you know the alien from alien itself the 1979 alien is one of the sort of tableaus that you kind of go through in that ride and the alien comes out at you a couple of times and there's like an audio animatronic alien and he drips you know acid on you. It's water it's fine you Yes, of course, uh, it's water. (laughs) But it scared the living shit out of me uh, as an eight-year-old, and I became obsessed with it. Uh, And we had a skylight in my bathroom uh, growing up. And I always thought – the way the skylight was positioned reminded me of the way that the alien in the ride kind of comes down uh, to, like, feast upon you. (laughs) Like, that's the idea. Uh, And I was Mm -hmm. just constantly terrified that that alien was going to get me. Uh, And then I remember seeing – as a young teenager – so this was, like, as an 8-year-old. Like, as a very young child, I was very afraid of that thing. And then I saw aliens – the sequel when i was like 14 or 15 like probably a little like old enough to know it's not real but that the scene where uh the the sort of victim who has been harvested and there's is about to be chest bursted uh absolutely destroyed me i i remember watching it on like a family vacation at a at a resort or something and like hiding behind the couch like i just like jumped behind the couch like nope i'm out uh and then of course they would come to become like my favorite movies of all time. Like I think the original alien is my favorite movie of all time. I don't always have favorites for e- everything. Yeah. I have a favorite TV show and a favorite movie. And like, you could ask me my favorite food and I'd be like, ah, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but like alien is my favorite. And I adore aliens. The the sequel as well. Like with almost it's the a same good pick. love. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a good
0: pick. I, I can't, I can't argue with it. Like yeah. I think, <laughs> Hmm. I don't know what my favorite, like, I don't know what my favorite movie of all time is. Like I know my TV show. I know it's lost. Yeah.
1: My, but... mine's Farscape. It's a uh,
0: it's I don't. Very special. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Alien's a good pick. Like, I like on a given day, like I could give that and feel like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I don't need. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't quibble with that. Yeah. Um. I I had a similar like hide behind the couch experience with um, uh, the opening to E. T. Oh shit. Um, you know wh- when he they find you know Elliot finds E. T. Out in the cornfield and E. T. Goes <laughs> <"Rrr!"> like uh, <laughs> that
1: sound yes. So when,
0: yeah, it's so, yeah I uh, <laughs> like we would subsequently watch uh. That film, I would just hide behind up until you know you get the Skittles, and then he goes out into the cornfield. and It's like, I'll just wait till after them. Um, <laughs> that and on the opposite end of the spectrum is goddamn when they find his like nearly dead white body, uh, oh, in yeah. the river. Holy shit! Oh. My mom, my, my mom did not know that was coming. She, she's like, Look, Steven Spielberg, what, like happy children's movie, uh, yeah. yeah, a movie about <laughs> aliens, they're flying in the sky, and she's like. What the fuck, Spielberg? What is this, this <laughs> alien A child doing? Near death, like, like, it's very. Like, me and my brother are apparently like apoplectic and just like <laughs> uh, inconsolable. She had to, like, you can't look up on the internet, like, does he survive? My mom was like, right. if you kill this alien, <laughs> I think she was gonna go to Hollywood and get some, <laughs> get some revenge. So, yeah. Ugh.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. That's so good. God, Event Horizon took us to some places, you know, which I figured it would because it's <laughs> it, holds a yeah, it moves place. time
0: and space, and yeah. you know, you you can leap to big tangents from Event Horizon. That's right. Well, you space. know, at
1: the fastest point uh, between two points in space uh, is a tangent. I don't know if you knew, uh, but yeah, if you just fold space and time uh, in between the two, and you just poke a pencil through it it becomes a sorry that makes no sense if you didn't recently watch event horizon uh but that is how we're explains how the gravity drive works in his is it pretty
0: effective oh here's, yeah. a, here's a here's a closing question so yeah. what do you like what do you think happens at the end because
1: yeah. uh
0: so the movie closes with um you know three of the characters uh getting off they uh, blow the rest of the ship uh, destroying the gravity drive Yeah, Miller sacrifices um, before... himself
1: it's big y- yep. yeah heroes yep. ending um
0: yeah. uh that fight scene though Whew. like okay so like an ultimate demon from another dimension gets into a fucking fist fight with him <laughs> like I mean it's good Yeah. like it's good yeah. in, a, in a way that I was like this is terrible yeah. but like this is what this was they this is what they conceived see for like the final act of the film is that like the ultimate uh, transdimensional demon is going to get in a fist fight with Lawrence. Fisher? Fine. Whatever. I so, saw that anyway, as they, like, they,
1: not to go off on a tangent, I'll make it very mm-hmm, brief, but I saw that go. as like, this thing feeds on suffering and that's the way it was. He was going to suffer the most was like seeing his, his dead friend and it kind of comes back and it's like a whole, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading and then too he much. him. <laughs> yeah. And then he
0: tries to beat him with a, <laughs> a steel pipe or whatever. <laughs> I- it's fine. I love it. Like I don't yeah. want it any other way. Like I don't want a better version of this movie. I'm fine with where it landed. Um, that was his ultimate but, um,
1: suffering. Was like being in a fist fight with a fucked up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> demon well, he came out ahead. Yeah. Right. Um, so he sacrifices himself. He blows that side of the ship. They get into uh, sort of a lifeboat that they uh, are able to launch off. Um, kind of, I guess, steer themselves towards Earth. Go into cryo sleep. And then hope that a uh, a, uh like the s o s is picked up by somebody and they get rescued uh and so the movie cuts to uh them getting rescued, but uh you know one of one of the characters uh wakes up and oh you know one of the soldiers says, "Oh, we're here, we're here, everything's fine. open the mask and it's you know it's weird it's same Neil and he's like, "I've got all your friends." Ah. <laughs> Uh, And then snap, she wakes up and, you know, it's revealed that, you know, she's just had some sort of nightmare. But then immediately after that, like the the doors to the ship sort of like ominously close, um, sort of like leaving like the question open on what happened. Like my read is that they did safely escape, but that there's reason to think like their friend's that got because you clearly see them sucked into the wormhole yeah that like maybe they're not doing so well on the other side and maybe are in for eternal torment uh because clearly whatever these transdimensional beings can do whether it you know you know we are getting sucked out a window and then his body is returned like they have some sort of power that you know is whatever uh yeah but th- clearly have the ability to manipulate beyond like the normal confines of sort of like life and death for the human body so theoretically they're over there and uh, things aren't going well um uh, that was my read I was clearly uh, I was clear what or, uh, I, was, I was curious what you thought
1: yeah yeah I, I I really like that uh it definitely struck me as like a very oh it's a Freddy Krueger kind of homage a little bit mm-hmm. of like oh a, a semi-happy ending and then you know, kind of rip that away from you because it's just like we're going to be that kind of schlocky horror movie. Uh, but I do really like that. I mean, you could interpret it as like, well, you know, this is this is Stark kind of having a mental breakdown possibly after everything she just survived. Uh, we don't have enough about her character though to kind of go off of that. Like, she seems like she's holding it together better than most people. Pretty much the whole movie, even when bad things happen to her, she's just she's kind of the one who's like a little chill and a little more removed from a lot of things. She does suffer a lot of head injuries at the end. Like she gets knocked on her head a lot, more so than maybe anybody else. Like if there's a head trauma count in this movie, it is it is very high. It is like <laughs> like extremely Fair. high. Um yeah, I really like that. I like that like things things aren't going so hot. They they went <laughs> they went to the other side and it's not going so great for them. Uh which yeah, is kind of in keeping with the tone of the movie. I I do like that. And then of course, uh, the, the end credits are over a prodigy song, which is chef's kiss, you know, like for the, for what this is and for what era this came from. It's like, OK, all right. Good job. Go make Resident Evil, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Mortal Com- Mortal Kombat was also, you know, yeah. like, that's, just,
1: <laughs> the that's just Paul
0: Anderson's shtick. Yeah. Uh, I think what like Orbital did the soundtrack to Event Horizon, I believe, did as they well really? that's or something amazing. like that. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that's true.
1: I know. I'm like maybe googling not. it right now.
0: <laughs> I know. I saw something related to uh to orbital. Uh, maybe it was just the end.
1: Yeah, Michael Common and Orbital. It looks like the score. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you're absolutely right.
0: Synthesizing sounds. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it was yeah. So and yeah. So yeah, Mortal Kombat had a lot of that. I don't know if Resident Evil does. It's been a long time since I've seen. I only saw the first of uh Paul W S Anderson's uh Resident Evil like. It's not even a quadrilogy. I think there were six of those movies. Yeah, I don't there were know. I don't even know what the ilogy is on that uh at that uh, at that point. But uh yeah, I man, I mean, the dude loves his dance music. So yeah. sure. And then Mortal Kombat the music is worth it. So Oh absolutely <laughs> it's fine with me.
1: hundred <laughs> percent. Ag- hard agree. Um yeah, I, I I would uh as my as my closing thought, I would absolutely recommend Event Horizon for any folks who uh, who have any love for any of the things we've listed here, <laughs> uh, I think it holds up so much better than I thought it did uh, or was kind of worried it would. Uh, and uh, oh boy, just so many uh, lovely touches uh, from that era that are, are so very nostalgic for me, uh, having been a very, very, very young teenager in the year of its, uh, in the year, <laughs> in the year of the birth of Event Horizon, the year we all went past the Event Horizon. Very, very good stuff. Uh, Patrick, do you have any other closing thoughts on this beautiful film?
0: Nah, I, I, I you know, I'm, uh, I've recently, as someone that doesn't collect things, like sure. I'm a yeah. big believer, like I was Marie Kondo before that became popular. I like I like getting rid of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, as I've gotten a little older and I have a house and I sort of had like more room for things and so I'm like a little more thoughtful on like, well, okay, if I wanted to have stuff, physical things, like, you know, what do I want? And so like my wife and I recently purged like the vast majority of like the DVDs yeah. uh, and Blu-rays that we owned and was like, OK, let's just keep the, the stuff that's really important to us. But, but I do want specifically like I want to replicate the idea of going to like a um, like when we met or like obviously, as you talked about, like going to a blockbuster yeah. or going to like a homegrown uh uh, movie store which has like a heavily curated selection of just like really good shit and so i want i have like this bookshelf um you know that, that's been full of dvds that can you know probably fit a couple of hundred mm-hmm. and it's like my plan over x number of years you know is to fill that with like a similar like massive collection and so uh when we i rewatch films like i have not i normally just you know pay four bucks to rent them on itunes but now i've been like Watching sales and like trying to like slowly pick up on things. That's why I bought The Happening. It's like, yeah, this is a movie I want to hand to people and be like, go watch The Happening, or we're gonna watch The Happening right now. <laughs> yeah. And after watching Event Horizon, like at, I went and checked the Blu Ray and click uh, because yeah. that is one that holds up that in you know a year or two I will definitely want to revisit again.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good standard to have like a a shelf uh, or, or or a virtual video store. Uh, that that uh, sort of like be good rewatch it has a has a little canon of like yeah this one excuse is me? this is worthwhile
0: excuse me excuse me like a canon be good rewatch it
1: yeah, excuse me. pardon me pardon me sir <laughs> be good and
0: thank you we'll rewatch
1: it as its own shelf and don't worry we'll make sure there's an and on the shelf we'll make sure there's an and on that shelf I, I I'll be positive to keep that one on there. Oh, my God. Patrick, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online?
0: Uh, you can find me at Patrick Kluppin.
1: Amazing. You can find me at Danielle or I, where I talk a lot about the horror movies I'm obsessed with at the moment. As always, our thanks to 2 Mellow for our theme music. You can find that at 2 com. Follow him at Mellow Makes on Twitter. Of course, you can keep up with all of us at Waypoint.Vice.com. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice, and we're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Thank you so much for listening to Be Good and Rewatch It. We did I it. hope you enjoy this and any other episodes of uh, Waypoint's many fine podcasts. Please rate and review this podcast on the iTunes store or wherever you listen, because it really does help. So for Patrick Kluppick, this is Danielle Riando signing out with, we're leaving.
0: Fuck this shit. <laughs>
1: Why Uh, does this stuff always happen to me? (laughs) Oh, baby bear.